You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to We Are Libertarians Daily. I'm Sarah Brady Wagner, and today, it's just me. In a previous episode of Wall Daily, I had touched on my own experience with fertility markets and IVF in particular. Today, I wanted to kind of expand on my own experience a little in that realm and to discuss some of the philosophical concepts that came up for me in this whole process. We spend so much political energy debating and legislating what can and cannot or should and should not happen to human lives when they're still growing in utero, while they're still reliant on a very specific woman to grow and survive. This energy is committed with good reason, too. Voices on both sides of the debate over abortion believe themselves to be protecting individual bodily rights. While I have long held the belief that government should stay out of the issue altogether, The ways that people view the sanctity of human life has been a topic that stayed on my mind a lot over the years, as I built up my career working with newborns and their families. The fragility of early human life is also a constant reality when doing the kind of work I do. While American parents today can reasonably assume any children they have will survive to adulthood, the reality of miscarriages and stillbirths and sudden infant deaths is still something you're almost guaranteed to encounter when you build a career around that phase of life. But it was really my own efforts at building a family and the difficulties my husband and I encountered in that process that have given me a new perspective on the issue around women's bodily autonomy during reproduction and the sanctity of human life, as well as the moral and philosophical concept of personhood. Usually when we discuss the rights of unborn humans, The context is that of an unwanted pregnancy. In my situation, the discussion centered instead around the context of a very much wanted pregnancy, which nonetheless, I was informed, would not be possible without artificial intervention. Now, this journey has made me consider a lot of ethical and moral questions, the kind of questions that you don't consider unless you have to. But today I want to discuss the reasoning that I went through, along with my husband, to decide to pursue IVF. So first, our problem was simply that we would not be able to create an embryo the typical way. In order to have children with my husband, we would have to pay to have some of my eggs taken out of me and fertilized by injecting a single sperm from my husband and then put back into my uterus in the hopes that it will implant itself there and grow into a pregnancy, which will hopefully result in a live birth and a healthy childhood. Lots of hopes in there, not a lot of guarantee. Fertility medicine is all about chances and hope. There are no guarantees. For many couples, it becomes a numbers game. The more embryos you have, the better your chances of getting a live birth, just because you have more chances. 
that's there's sort of a rule of thirds when it comes to IVF at each step in the process. First, we have to get as many eggs out as we can, as many eggs out of me. And that really depends on how I react to the medication. So I have to give myself shots to try and produce extra eggs because typically my body would only release one or two a month. With this, we could get anywhere between one and 50 eggs with the average falling between 15 and 20. So hypothetically, let's say we have 15 eggs. A third of those will not fertilize and become embryos. That leaves us with 10. A third of those embryos will stop growing before they're three days old. And that leaves us with seven. If we try those seven embryos one at a time, statistics show only half will successfully implant. And that leaves us with three pregnancies, out of which one will likely end in miscarriage or stillbirth. And that means that on average, one cycle of IVF will result in two live-born human infants and eight human lives that ended before having the chance to be born. So 80% of the human lives created through IVF are also destroyed by it. And that's just an example of one statistically average cycle. Many couples go through multiple cycles, and many are able to complete their family and still have viable embryos available. Then there's a question of what to do with what what do we do with those leftover lives? For most people, the answer is to put them in long-term cryogenic storage and basically to avoid making a decision about whether they will have a chance at growing or whether to destroy them. There are currently over a million embryos in storage in the United States, although it's hard to know an exact number, and it's a number that rises every day. While most of these embryos are essentially left over from IVF, there are other reasons to freeze embryos. Some of them are intended for future use for more siblings. For Some of them are from individuals who have undergone cancer treatment and had embryos created with their spouse and stored for later use. There is another option for unwanted embryos instead of indefinite storage. They can be donated to someone willing and able to give them a chance to grow. Very few people choose this option. Most people choose to leave them in the freezer. There used to be an option of donating embryos to science to be used in stem cell research, but that's no longer an option in the United States. So, when discussing the sanctity of human life, a phrase I often hear is, life begins at conception. And I used to think that this was simple and clear, but it's not. Conception isn't just a single point in time or an event that happens, it's a process. When we talk about a child being conceived, it's basically a shorthand for all of the things that are facilitated by IVF and fertility medicine in general. Conception includes fertilization, implantation, and a certain amount of development. So. A question that I've taken the opportunity to pose to everyone I can is, what about the lives in the process of conception? What do we think about those lives? I do want to say that I'm not asking for a policy proposal. I'm not saying that IVF is right or wrong. I think that it's a difficult issue to grapple with, and if you've never had to think about it, it's an easy subject to overlook. As for my family, we've decided to start IVF. 
And if we're fortunate enough to have more embryos than we can support as children, we will donate them to a family that is unable to create their own embryos. Our first choice would have been, and still is, to give someone else's unwanted embryos a chance to grow. And it's actually the pursuit of that option that showed me how overlooked these embryos are. Adoption is also an option we're interested in, but then the unfortunate reality of this market is that it's actually more affordable for us to try to create new lives than it is to try and give homes to children who've already been born and that are still in need of a family. But that's a topic for another day. So to wrap up today's episode, I want to leave you with an ethical problem to think about. Suppose you're in a fertility clinic and a fire breaks out. You have just enough time to save one five-year-old child or a container of a thousand embryos. You can't save both. Does this decision change if the child is yours? Or if, the ten, if just 10 of those thousand embryos are your only chance at having a genetic child? Be sure to check out our Facebook group, We Are Libertarians, and sure, be sure to um, check out our YouTube channel. Please get in touch with us, get joined in with the community, and get involved in these kinds of conversations to really think about these difficult issues that underlie some of our most broadly impactful legislation.